Kill, brother. All right. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Pete Jones. So uh, Pete is my man when it comes to all things philosophy. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> we're going to catch up today. Yeah, I mean, obviously, guys, you know that uh, if you've been following the podcast for any length of time, you know we talk about we talk about philosophy, we talk about success, we talk about discipline, we talk about the tools that it takes to keep you moving toward the things that you want to create. And the reality is, is it's not a straight line. I think that's one of the things that I'm learning. And uh, I think Pete has <laughs> been in that boat before as well. Um, I just recently was on a hiatus. I went out to Texas for about 11 days and just kind of disconnected from everything and anything uh, for as long as I possibly could. And uh, just recently got back. So Pete has been doing his own thing. A uh, guy writes every day. He's very insightful uh, man. And you guys would do well to follow him and listen to some of the things that he's putting out. Um, so with that said, we're going to wing through some things today. We're going to talk about maybe some current events uh, talk about what's been going on for us. I know a lot of times we, as people, tend to make things impersonal, which sometimes makes them less relatable, I think, on some level. That's true. But I'll just say that from a personal standpoint, I don't have everything figured out. And, you know, it's a humbling experience going through this life. This is one of the things that uh, came to mind as I was holed up in a tent while it was raining <laughs> on me about for a week in Texas. So with that said, I'll just say welcome to Pete. And uh, we'll jump in and we'll just, uh, we'll wing some stuff, brother. Sounds good. Thanks well, for having me up here again. It's a fourth recorded podcast we've done together and it's been phenomenal experience every single time. Yeah, man. I we always, you. we always get into some great stuff and I appreciate you as well. I appreciate you being here. I think we're going to have to just uh, set a time to record regularly because I think a lot of good things come out when you and I come together and put the minds on the table. The most valuable thing for me is I get to vibrate at a completely different frequency whenever I'm around you as a person. Yeah, and same here. That's awesome. It really is, man. I love the contrast in the different ways that you think and speak and write and the different ways that you do things. And it's almost like I experience life vicariously through you sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just following you the way I do. And it's absolutely benefited me in so many ways to to just know you and to be following you. Wow, that's a very humbling thing to hear, man. I, I, I got to tell you, over the last few weeks, you know, I've been struggling with some stuff personally, just dealing with my own personal direction. Some of the things that I've been thinking about I wanted to do, and then contrasting that with what other people are doing, which was the wrong thing to do, which creates paralysis. It also creates a, you know, I would say a minor form of depression if there is such a thing. So the comparison game. The comparison game, obviously. We've uh, both we, played this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, every day, um, you know, because I like everything that you throw out on social media, it, you're in my my algorithm every day. So every day when you throw some stuff up there, you know, it's been speaking to me lately. So on those days when I'm down, you've been a lighthouse for me, and I really appreciate that. Oh, that goes the other way, too. And I think I reached out and told <laughs> you that a few times. Like, I'll read something. And I'll be so de-energized and demotivated after a long 10-hour workday. And then all of a sudden I read that and I literally hop up and get on the recumbent bike or <laughs> go do yoga or, you know, and it, it motivates and inspires me to do more when I don't think that I can. Yeah. And that's just a lie I tell myself because I'm being lazy. <laughs> yeah, I can relate, man. I've, I've had quite a few moments like that over the last few weeks just trying to figure out I don't want to use the word try, just working to figure out, you know, what I wanted to 
dedicate the remainder of my life to. Because, you know, as we were talking off mic, you know, I'm about halfway through my life cycle on average. You know, obviously, uh, I don't believe that. You know, uh, I plan to be here at least until 137. Right on. You know, that way I get to die on a, on a 2100, in year 2100, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of my plan. Uh, so I'm not quite, you know, I'm not even a third of the way there yet. But um, I'm starting to feel pressure. To, to, to be, do, have some things that I felt like I should have already accomplished. Where's that pressure coming from? Just from internally, just internally. Mm. You know, it, it's, I, it's, again, playing the comparison game and not realizing mm. that the, the dangers of following people. I think this is one of the things that's really been hitting me hard in social media world is like following people is really one of the worst things you can do. And so you have to really be careful who you're following mm-hmm. and who shows up because one little hitch in the philosophical armor or one little ting, you know, in the sort of mindset chink in the armor kind of a thing. And the next thing you know, you're down the internet rabbit hole and two <laughs> hours have gone and you've programmed yeah. yourself to do nothing. Yeah. And you wake up from that zoned out and there is this sort of feeling of being defeated as if, you know, the day is over, Mm -hmm. you know, I spent two hours doing nothing and now I'm looking at the clock and now there's no time really to get in the things that I wanted to get done because I allowed myself to fall down the rabbit hole of, you know, negative news or comparison syndrome, or I should be doing this when I'm doing that kind of a thing. And just beating, beating myself up kind of a thing Mm. when the reality is I know better and that compounds it. You know, this is because I know I know better, right? And the guilt and the shame compounds. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. Part of the human experience. Yeah, it's so funny, man. But the beauty is you get to experience it Mm -hmm. and you have the contrast and you know you don't like that. And that leads you right back to what you know you do want. And you refocus, you realign, and it's never too late to just begin again. That's right. That's right. And and two, you know, it's that idea of, of never stopping, it's been for me a grind in getting some things done that I normally get done habitually, but making myself do them. I found my heart not in them kind of a thing. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like it not wasn't as enjoyable li- anymore. Yeah. It wasn't lighting me up. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well do I just quit? Yeah, why it's not do it if it's up. not lighting you up? Right? right. Right. But then on some level, the, the continuation of a process, the continuation of a series of, of habits, for example, writing every day, for example, or posting every day, just the continuation of that habit is a building block of some level of legacy, some level of success. And so there is some pride that comes from just being able to do that even on an off day, week, month, whatever the thing is, just getting through that piece um, until your mindset catches up with your activity yeah, and the consistency. Yeah. Building credibility with ourselves, I think, is so important. And consistency absolutely does that. However, um, I'm getting sort of, I don't know, downloads or messages, whatever you want to call them lately, um, from all kinds of different sources that basically um, empower me to more effectively vacillate between what we've discussed before, which is doing and being. So we've got the human experience, which uh, consists of a lot of doing. And we've got the spiritual experience, uh, which consists of being. Um, doing um, connotates action, while being uh, connotates attraction. Mm. 
And if we can vacillate between the two and be okay with that, rather than, oh, no, I need to be this all the time. And that rigidity de-energizes and demotivates me personally. I'm uninspired completely to consistently do things that don't light me up. So I love to experiment with everything possible and then figure out what lights me up, what's re-energizing. So when I come home after a long 10-hour day at work, what can I do consistently that will re-energize me and light me right back up and uh, realign me with what I really am while I continue to work on the who I identify as while in this body, right? So there, there are some different things that we can work with, that we can experiment with. However, like beliefs, perspectives, habits, and doing it consistently are incredibly useful. And I think we've talked a lot about this in the past where you've got certain uh, daily rituals and routines that set you up for success the whole rest of your day. A successful week becomes a successful month, becomes a successful year, and before you know it, life's gone, and, and damn, that was a successful life, right? Jim Rohn says something I love about success. He says success isn't to be pursued. It's to be attracted by the who we become, by the person we become. Yeah, which gets back to uh, beingness, which you mentioned at the beginning of your statement there. So maybe what we could do is dive into what beingness means. I think a lot of times we gloss over what beingness is. You know, I mean, internally, like I think a lot of people will look at someone and assign a label of what a person is being based on how they're showing up. Mm. And there's some validity to that, but there's also the internal aspect of being what you're being inside. And that should show up externally. On some levels, you know, if you want to play the should game, which is a dangerous game to play, but you're gonna should all over us during this conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, so being this, um, what would be your idea of a good definition or a good way of thinking of a person's beingness? What does that mean? Doctor Wayne Dyer um, shared a teaching by a Catholic priest that was eventually actually kicked out of the church for his radical ideas and thinking. And the one that I love the most was, uh, we are not uh, spirits having a human experience. Or uh, Did I say it backwards? I think I might have. Yeah, Basically, spirits. the teaching yeah, we, is, yeah. we, we are spirits having a human experience, right. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And um, for, for me personally, my self-identity from birth has always been, I'm a human having a spiritual experience every once in a while. <laughs> and till recently every once in a while yeah like <laughs> yeah and and with all the distractions of this life all, all of the shoulds all of the comparisons all of the judgments and criticisms that we have on ourselves and towards others um, all of the teachings that are shoved down our throat from birth and all of the beliefs that we're trained to have we're, we're taught how to think from birth we're never taught how to think we're just taught what to think mm. And so if we're taught to think at all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so being and uh, doing, I I really think are two totally separate things. Uh, Being is more of a a spiritual uh, source energy, uh, self-identity. And then doing is a self-identity of here I am as a human doing things to accomplish and to acquire and to create in the physical realm. 
But now with quantum science coming forward, we know that all things, or we believe, you know, if we want to, that all things are first created in the mind before they manifest in this physical realm. So there's something to be said about doing and being. It's not really one or the other, which is better or worse. It's all good. And that's another thing that... um, I'd like to discuss with you as well as David R. Hawkins. Um, I, I was recently turned on to some of his books. I, I purchased them, haven't read through all of them yet, listened to a few. And that man came up with something called the, man, uh, the, the Map of Consciousness, which shows basically at, at zero, there's no vibration, no frequency, you're dead. Um, at 20, I think it's shame. And then a little higher is anger and guilt. And higher than that, you start to transition into joy and happiness and and then service and all the way up to level 1,000, which is like Christ consciousness, Buddha consciousness, which is a totally different vibration than anger or hatred or malice or bitterness. And um, that, I mean, if, if you look at that map and ask yourself, you know, where am I vibrating right now? And how can I vibrate higher more often. That is where I think we align and, and our interests align because we as, as individuals have done a lot of personal development and personal work for our individual person, right? But in the spiritual realm, I, I believe that being is something that we all just do naturally. We're just being spirits while having this human experience. And so through quantum uh, physics and that science, they say that we're all interconnected and intertwined on so many levels, right? But energetically, vibrationally, our frequencies align and then attract what we want to manifest. We don't make it out of thin air. Sometimes it just pops in our lap and we're like, huh, so that's how this works. That's kind of cool. Other times we struggle uh, we hate ourselves, we question why we can't, and then one day we are busy being instead of doing, and then just, it pops, and it just happens instantaneously. Mm. Like, uh, let's see, uh, a cork, you know, Abraham Hicks talks about a cork in the water. If you pull the cork down into the water, when you let go of it, what happens? Yeah, it shoots up, the, the beach ball example. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're doing things in our human form that isn't in alignment with our true essence, our beingness, um, and then we just let go, uh, we tend to act like that cork and we pop up to the top and we realign. And so the question then becomes, how can we realign the who we identify as while in these bodies with the what we actually are? What do you think are some useful, effective, really quick right now to do things that we can do in order to realign? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the last, this little last trip that I was on was a bit of an exploration of that. I had a lot of time alone in the woods to think. That is so cool. I think (laughs) that's Especially in my little single man tent while it was raining outside. (laughs) So, yeah, that I think that for me, the, you know, and if you follow me for any, any length of time, you know, I always sign off my uh, Insta blogs with B do have in that order. 
for me, I think of beingness as being something that you control to a certain extent. So you have thoughts that appear in your mind. They just come from nowhere. You, you have no control over them. The elephant and the rider example, right? The elephant does what it wants to do, and then the rider sometimes thinks he's in charge. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so the elephant and the rider, the, the mind does what it wants to do, and you're there to sort of surf the waves of what it creates, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And when those thoughts appear, a lot of them are just noise. They're static. They are uh, surface-level bits of horseshit that are just there to distract you or to cause you to feel a certain way. And you can, you have two choices. You can react to them or you can just allow them to be. Okay. So if I want to be the type of person who has the type of things that I want to have, then a lot of my thoughts are absolutely useless and counterproductive, Mm. you know? So there's a, there's a point at which we have to sort through the surface level monkey brain thoughts and get to what's underneath. And I believe that one of the most powerful tools is to just sit quietly doing nothing as part of your day. You sit quietly doing nothing. And what you'll find is that thoughts will appear and initially they're going to be useless, judgmental, garbage type thoughts that cause you to compare yourself or to feel good or bad about a certain thing. And then after a certain period of time, it might take 20 minutes, it might take 30 minutes, but after a certain period of time, all of those thoughts are, are gone. You've, you've seen them now. The, the shock value is zero. There, there is no more shock value, <laughs> right? You've already seen that or, or you've already experienced that thought in your head. And so what's left is what's underneath all of that, which is the real you in terms of what you want to create, what you want to bring into being, what you want to your life to represent, so to speak. And so just sitting quietly, you know, absent some sort of formal style of meditation just sit quietly and allow those thoughts to come and allow them to go you don't attach yourself to any of them Mm -hmm. and then after a while what happens is they're like i said the shock value is gone and you're left with the real you so what where is your real power lie right where is your real interest where is your real sort of beingness if you will what is that well it's all the good stuff that's underneath all that surface crap And if we don't take long enough to allow that stuff to wash over us and just deal with it or not deal with it, but just let it be, let it see it. uh, So the shock value is gone and then realize, okay, well, that was a thought. It came from nowhere, (laughs) you know, and on some level I had no choice in producing it. It just appeared, Mm. you know, okay, I'm going to allow that to happen long enough for me to, to let those things go and determine underneath what I'm really about. And for me, beingness is about what's underneath all of that. And if I can identify what I'm really like at my core, then my chance of doing the things that cause me to have the things are certainly much, much greater. So from that level of dealing with what is surface versus what is, I would say, when I say surface, I mean sort of ego-driven nonsense. You know, like so-and-so doesn't like me or you know, um, you know, my work is not producing the impact that I want it to produce. Okay. That's just all ego, right? Um, if you're truly attached to the work that you're doing, it shouldn't matter what someone else's response is. It should just matter that it comes out of you. Right. Absolutely. And so getting to that place where 
ego is pushed aside and it's just, all right, well, this is who I am at my core and I'm going to be this person. Okay, well, being this person means I do certain things, right? I wake up in the morning, I let these crap thoughts go away, I get to the core, I do my writing, I do my morning routine, I, I live my, my day, I do my workouts, whatever I do. And I'm doing that in an effort to have a certain thing, right? But on the, on the highest level, that makes sense. But then on the lowest level, you have, to re- you have to realize that you also have to be unattached from the things you want to have. Because if you attach yourself to the things you want to have, then you become a prisoner to those things. And it's, it's one of those situations where I'm being a certain way so that I can choose my actions in alignment with my beingness. And I know that those actions are going to result in creating a certain life. So when I think of beingness, so I think of be, do, have, that's what I think of. But the initial snapshot of who I am at my core, those monkey brain thoughts, those surface level ego driven things, that is not who I am. Even though sometimes when I am weak or sometimes when I am angry or in those low level emotions, those things guide my actions, right? So there's a certain amount of grace that I have to allow myself and other people have to allow me or not, (laughs) right? And then from there, you know, I learn to handle them differently or handle them better. But I think a lot of times that, that initial sort of hot take on those thoughts just comes from, it comes from not examining them. Right. Because if you see those thoughts regularly, it's like anything controversial. If you see it regularly, then it loses its sting. It loses its impact. Yeah. And so seeing them regularly, I think, causes you to process all of that surface stuff, the ego stuff faster. And you can get to that place where it's, OK, here's who I really am. And this is these are the things I'm going to do today to support my beingness. Like you said, they're tied. Yeah. Right. It's a balancing act. It's a balancing act. Right. And then the things that I do are going to result in what I have. And, and, and it's one of those situations. At least that's how I think of it. That's a lot of words for a very simple concept. Well, the be, do, have um, teaching or belief, what it, mantra. I mean, I, I thought was brilliant when, when we started a year, year and a half ago, talking about the difference between being and doing. It really made me ask some questions. And to be, do, have, it, that says it all. It's bam, simple and to the point, and it's legit in my opinion because we're all being, whether we want to or not. That's just, <laughs> we are source energy. We are alive. We're energy. We're love. We're light. Whatever you want to think, you know, we're being. Uh, what we are being right now is human. I was very uh, closed off to any other ideas besides the ones I was raised with because I was taught to be. And when I expanded um, into limitless possibilities uh, in different ways of thinking, um, different ways of learning, I began to hear things that made me really uncomfortable at first because it didn't align with what I had been told to think my whole life. But then to be able to look at this human experience as just a very short temporary inhabitants of a physical body and then think, you know, like, I was raised Christian. You know, I, I never was even allowed to discuss things like uh, reincarnation. Yet there are millions more people that believe in that than the Christian story. And when I opened my mind to just listen to some of that, a lot of those teachings uh, 
lit me up. They, they aligned with how I felt in my being part. And then I thought, well, what if this? What if that? You would play the what if game forever. But what if we were trees? What if we were a, a bird in a past life? What if uh, this life gets repeated over and over again? Just like it's some kind of a, a virtual reality simulation that, you know, we just keep repeating. And I always I told my mom, like, wouldn't it be interesting if this entire construct was simply a program, some snot-nosed 14-year-old kid picking his nose, you know, all the time, put together because he's a genius and he needs to do some research that will help him have the courage to ask some girl out, you know? <laughs> Who knows? We don't know shit. That's now my opinion at this age. We all want to think we do. We all want to think our way is the only way, the right way, that there's good, there's bad, there's right, there's wrong. But I think... For now, for me, all that is just is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, the good, bad, right, wrong thing, I think just is a reflection of low-level thinking around what's effective versus what's ineffective. So there is an effective way to do something. There is an ineffective way of doing something. Now, what a judgment you assign to that, you might call it a good way versus a bad way. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day it's effective or it's ineffective. So what you're doing in your life right now is affecting a change uh, toward what you want to be or create or have, or it isn't. And so it's on you to decide, am I getting the most from this thing? And I might label it yes, good, or no, bad. And at the end of the day, that's going to translate into my results. So you know, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Thomas Wilhite, who founded Sci Seminars, and he says, you know, there's no greater way to gauge a man than by results, often harsh, but always fair. And that is absolutely the truth. And I think a lot of times right now when we're looking at people, especially in Western, the Western world, we're so freaking pampered. It's life is so easy here. I mean, even <laughs> the poorest among us in this country live better than 90% of the people in the world. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, well, you know, here's where we are. There's really no incentive if you're comfortable living in your mess, if you will, to do anything different. Yeah. There really isn't. So, you know, it kind of comes down to that idea of, are you going to move because you're inspired to move or are you going to move because you're desperate to move? And it seems like most people move from desperation, not from inspiration. One is pushing you and the other's pulling you. One's right? pushing you and one's push and pulling you. Yeah, right. Like, does the universe suck or does it blow, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it pulling you along or is it blowing you along, right? Like, when, which one of those things would be easier? Or like, is everything a miracle or is nothing a miracle? Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, it just comes, I mean, a lot of that is perspective and we can never know the answer. And obviously your mindset around that is going to shape how you feel and how you think and move through your day, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know. I mean, effective, ineffective, good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah, let's go for effective. Let's just go for effective. Am I affecting the, the things that I need to in order to create the result that I want to create? Assuming that it's a result that's worthy of me. Assuming that it's a result that is good for my fellow man, not just for myself, right? Am I, am I building a business that serves people or am I building a business that serves me? Am I building a relationship that serves the partner in that relationship or am I building a relationship that serves me, right? Only one of those things would be, you know, for lack of a better term, blessed, you know, and effectively what I need to create or what I want to create or what I quote unquote should be, if we want to go down that rabbit hole, 
is something that is not only good for me, but for good, good for the people that are involved with me. And I see it's hard for, uh, you know, like, um, you see someone like, uh, Anthony Bourdain commit suicide, you know, a few years ago, right? Obviously very smart guy, obviously, uh, very well-traveled, you know, his whole career he built, uh, you know, he wrote one article that made uh, mainstream news and turned that into a television career where he basically traveled the world, you know, eating different things and experiencing different cultures. And, you know, it was a pretty amazing thing to see. Uh, and when you see him as well as other people, um, who was the guy who, who wrote This Is Water? David, uh, David Foster. What's his name? This Is Water? This Is Water. That's the one I've never heard of. Yeah, David, David Foster, I believe. Um, I'll have to double check that. But anyway, uh, you, these are smart guys who took their own lives, right? And so on, at the end of the day, you have to look and, you, and, and as a smart thinking person, you have to realize that on some level, you know, people may not see things the way that you see them. And your sort of pat answers and logical conclusions don't matter to a lot of people. It's an they don't. individual journey. They simply do not matter. People do not give a fuck. Yeah. They don't. And so if you're unable to deal with that, if you see something that's effective and you're unable to affect change in other people, that is a frustrating place to be. Mm-hmm. Right? We're talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've experienced it, and I'm not putting myself on level with these other guys. I'm just telling you that from a personal level, I've experienced it. I'm just some guy. I'm just some guy in a room with a microphone right now. <laughs> right? But take it for what it's worth. Like when you see something that works and you want to solve the world's problems, you have to convince them you can't mandate. Yeah. Right. And when you can't mandate, when you can't be that benevolent dictator, it's frustrating. How can you influence and pull people (laughs) into something that you know is expansive for them because it has been so amazing for you? Yeah. I mean, that comes down to your ability to communicate. Right. So, I mean, when I think of, um, David Foster Wallace, that's his name. So look up David Foster Wallace, This Is Water. It's a fantastic uh, writing and reading he does in person on that. It's probably on the old YouTubes. Go to YouTubes and uh, <laughs> look up David Foster Wallace, This Is Water. But he just talks about the fact that we're all in this thing and we don't see it. Just like a fish in water doesn't see the water, you know. He's talking about being in line behind, you know, some person at the grocery store who's you know, just struggling to get through life and pay the bills and take care of the kids and, and how inconvenienced he is because he has to wait on this person. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things like we're all in it. We're all in this thing that we don't see just like a fish is, is in water that it doesn't care about or understand, but yet we have to find a way to make it meaningful or assign new meaning to it, you know, Rather that, than judging that woman in line. Yeah. Assign like, a new meeting. Yeah. Rather than judging the woman who's in line in the screaming kids and the, and the fact that she's writing a check and, you know, all this kind of crap that's inconveniencing you, you know, you have to find a way to flip it and make it mean something, you know? How can you enjoy that moment that's instead right. of being bitter and angry? That's it. You know? That's it. That's it. It's not about you. It's about this thing that we're all in. And so how can I, how can I create or produce a behavior or a beingness in this thing that we're all in that makes it better for everyone. Consistency, consistently and habitually yeah, too, exactly. you know, not just like every once in a while. Like uh, it used to be like every time I would come over here, I'd have to go to the park. I'd have to meditate. I'd have to listen <laughs> to certain music. I'd have to do these steps to prepare myself mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Now I can just think a thought and bam, 
I'm in the flow. I'm there. That's it's it. okay. Yeah. I'm, I've transitioned into being more than mm-hmm. doing more. Mm-hmm. And that has been much more enjoyable, much more energizing. And everything seems so effortless now, you know. And, and that, to realign with what we are That's while right. we're dealing with who we are in these bodies, that, I believe, is such a useful practice. And like you said, sitting quietly and just letting the thoughts come and go and getting in the habit of being able to just let go, let go of everything, all the judgments, criticisms, the should-bes, the, the complaints, the, the opinions, the habits, the perspectives, the comparisons. If, if we can just habitually learn to let go of everything, the, the who we are aligns more with the what we truly are and things really do miraculously just unfold in so many beautiful ways. I love it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's just like uh, the philosophies in Star Wars, right? Like the Jedi are forbidden to form attachments, <laughs> right? And then there's a reason for that. Like a lot of philosophies talk about what you're attached to, you know. Uh, be willing to let go of everything you're afraid to lose. Well, if you're willing to let go of it, then you can't fear losing it. Right, you can't live your life prisoner to something that you're not afraid of of losing. So, given these two options, if you were to create the most beautiful life that you can imagine, coming from a place of fear or coming from a place of love, which one would you rather? If we're going to talk good, bad, less, more effective, I mean, what kind of a lifestyle are you going to create? Sure, coming from fear versus coming from love. Yeah, on some level, there's a certain amount of utility in coming from the dark side, right? Like the, the dark side is useful. It yes. is useful and it needs to be tapped into on occasion, you know, whether it's fear or anger or whatever you want to call that, that negative quote unquote side of the emotion. Right. But I mean, again, negative is just our judgment of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I might say I might get in a fight with you, right? It's an attachment too. Well, yeah, for, of course. <laughs> but it just for example, just for, you know, just for sake of argument, right? Like if I got in a fight with you and the result of that fight was you and I were closer together, was the fight a negative thing? Absolutely not. Probably not. Right. Now, if I got in a fight with you and it resulted in a dissolution of the relationship, then that would probably be a negative thing. So the question is, what am I fighting for? Am I fighting to be right or am I fighting to right a wrong? Well, maybe I need to get angry. You know, maybe I need to throw some energy behind what I'm saying. Maybe I need to you know, tell someone who's on the wrong rail to shut the fuck up and, you know, step over here on this rail, you know, and try it out. Try it out. Yeah. Maybe, mm-hmm. and maybe they hate me for that, and then, but maybe they try it long enough to see that it's more effective. And maybe they come back later and say, you know what? I really hated you for that. Mm-hmm. But now that I see what I can create on this path, I'm not so upset with you anymore. Maybe we can be friends again, <laughs> kind of a thing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on obviously everything is, is circumstantial and on some level, but like if in the perfect world, in the utopian world, if you could just go through life looking at rainbows and whistling to butterflies, you know, obviously you would choose that path, right? But that's not the way the world uh, works uh, on some level, right? On some level, you've got to fight for what you want, even if it's uh, a passive uh, sort of way of fighting where you eliminate certain relationships and you choose not to associate with certain people who are holding you back or saying negative things or whatever the thing is, right? Or even someone online that you're following that uh, when you look at their stuff, you're like, oh shit, I'm nowhere near where I should be. I'm comparing myself to them. Okay, well, that's a negative trigger 
you don't need to go down that route, that route, right? Or is it a trigger that causes you to move fast and hard that day toward what you want, right? So it's, it's on some level, it's circumstantial. But again, you know, in the perfect world, if, if we could all create rainbows and, and um, you know, have Mr. Bluebird on our shoulder, that would be the obvious choice. <laughs> it's easy. It's an easy thing to do, right? But, you know, if you have to fight for what you have to fight for, then that's okay too. I think um, Naval Ravikant said something that really hit me hard one time, and, and that is, if you want to be a philosopher, which I think you and I would both consider ourselves on some level philosophers, if you want to be a philosopher, you first need to be a king. And I like that because what he's saying is you need to free yourself first, right? If you're going to espouse a certain philosophy, mm-hmm. then you need to have lived a life and you need to free yourself first. So what does it take for you to free yourself where are your lines in the sand on what your value system is? You know, if you're an, if you want to be, you know, the next big actress, you know, do you show your tits in the movie and sign the contract or do you not? Right. Well, maybe if you can have more of an influence, you show your tits in that movie. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Or if you're uh, Brad Pitt, you develop your eight pack abs in Thelma and Louise, and then you get a career from that one, you know, from that role or whatever happens. Right. So, is it about something that's negative or is it about a way or a gateway of getting through? Perhaps it's a gateway of getting through. Perhaps it's a negative thing. It all is going to depend on your perspective of how it comes down. Right. Here's a perspective that I love. Dr. David R. Hawkins. Mm -hmm. He theorized that it's possible that there's no such thing as anything that is in any way bad, negative, dark. He says, everything's light. It's Mm. more light or less light. Mm. He said, if you rid yourself entirely of low vibrational words, thoughts, beliefs, feelings, perspectives, eventually you're just going to expand into this other realm and recreate a personal reality within this physical manifestation that is completely in alignment with the what you are versus who you are kind of thing. Mm. And I I had to, it took me a few weeks to process through that one. I'll be honest. I was like, okay, wait a minute. So all my judgments, my criticisms, beliefs, perspectives, habitual way of thinking, they all come from what? My, my judgments, my criticisms, my comparisons. And while it is true that as a part of this human experience, contrast is what teaches us, what, it's what you know, gives us the data and the information and the feedback that we need to make a better decision the next time. Why not? try this other way that David R. Hawkins was explaining. Why not vibrate on such a high frequency that this physical manifestation that we're constantly recreating through our thinking and our, our emotions, our energetic mag- magnetic pulls and pushes, you know, that are all going out and coming back in after they amplify. Why not try it out? Why not create something better by looking at everything as perfect. Everything is as good. Everything is light and love, just more or less of that, rather than having to have a massive divide uh, in all that we see. Why not just go in the direction that's pulling you instead of pushing yourself so much all the time? Why not be pulled by the being that we all are? Yeah. By the what we truly all are, you know? Why not let source energy pull us back into its realm? That's where we're from. Right. And if we can do that while in these bodies through things like meditation, you know, 
why not try it out? Sure. So then the question arises from the practical standpoint or from the, the, the act of living in the real world is like, what if you're an asshole? What if you're an evil dictator? You know, what if you are, you know, the next Attila the Hun kind of a thing, right? And then it's like, okay, well, if, if that's who you are, we, we, you know, we don't want you here kind of thing. <laughs> and on some level, like, I understand what he's saying. Um, but from a practical standpoint, the blanket statements about everything is love and light, mm, that's a tough sell mm-hmm. when people see evil in the world. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? And so I would challenge you on, I would challenge you to explain that point of view. I'd love to share something that I heard. Um, Ram Das had this exact discussion with his guru, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, um, back in the 70s. And uh, Maharaji said, everything is perfect, Ram Das. Just relax. Let it go. You're not going to be able to get your VW bug, your bus, you know, to go and save everyone. There's millions of people starving to death down there. They're all dying from disease. What you can do right now is be the best you you can be. And that emotional vibration that you're emitting will then transcend the lower vibration of what you're feeling now. He didn't say these exact words. (laughs) This is how the story went. Paraphrasing. Right, exactly. (laughs) Basically, he told them, look, just let it be. Let go and just be the best you that you can be. Right. People will align with you or they won't. Mm -hmm. People will be healed through you or they won't. But they all need to do their thing. They need to have their human experience. They need to uh, experiment with everything, find what works for them and what doesn't. Look at all the feedback and the information and, and go forward, you know, the best that they can, the best they know how. That's right. And, and so basically, uh, Ramdas lost his shit and, and told him, no, you're wrong. This is bull crap. I don't believe it. And, and told him, you know, like, I, don't, I don't agree with you. Because there are children starving right now. I could take food right here, drive in my bus down there and feed them. And, and they would be okay, for, at least for another day or two. Sure. And I, again, he just told them, you know, you do you. It's okay either way. But his level of understanding far surpasses mine because I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm like, hey, in my current judgmental circumstance of my own personal human experience, I see light and dark. I judge everything, I criticize it all, and I really try hard not to. <laughs> and I was telling you before we started recording that I've got a few new habits that I've been um, implementing uh, for three or four months now. And of course, there's an alarm on my phone, which my wife just loves. <laughs> Same with my coworkers. One of the alarms says, um, you know, today I will not judge anything. No judgment, no criticism. And I've learned that if I say this in the mirror every day or in my mind to myself in the mirror every day, no judgment, no criticism. I love you exactly as you are. You don't need to change a thing. You're perfect just as you are and you can get even better. That's the magic. Right. But uh, okay. So devil's advocate, right? Since we're talking about light and dark, I'll I'll, I'll be the devil. So (laughs) So if if you say you're perfect like you are, but you need to change something, isn't that an oxymoron are you aren't you now saying that you're not perfect that is where the being versus doing the the what we are versus the who we are and instead of versus it's like a teeter-totter it's a balancing act where we do vacillate like say you ever run across a teeter-totter balancing yourself and then hit the other end and it goes bam it slams down on the ground and you run to the very end again sure back and forth back and forth 
uh, I believe it's possible that that's all we're doing throughout this human experience is temporarily remembering what we are while we're working hard on the who we are. So perfection inside, always. We are perfect. We are that source energy downloaded into this human experience in this body, which is imperfect, right? And that we can also look at as perfect in this moment, in the here and now, but then through the comparisons and the judgments and the criticisms and the contrasts of life and all these experiences, all the the data, the feedback, the information we get immediately sometimes from the decisions we make in this body, then we can realize, hey, I am perfect in the here and now. I'm, I'm happy. I'm satisfied with the who I am and the what I am. However, I see this thing out here and I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z to get that. Do I really want it badly enough to do X, Y, and Z or not? That's an individual process. It's, it's unique to each person. And that, to me, is the most beautiful part of this human experience. The, the personal choice, the personal decision. I mean, we, we were talking about it recently about not giving a rip what anyone thinks, says, does, wants, needs. No, I'm going to do me, period. Right. 100%. And if it doesn't align with what they think is good or bad or right and wrong, then, you know, they can do them. Much love to you. Peace. I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to walk away from you and do my own thing anyway. And I, I know that resonated with you because you texted me back and you're like, don't give a rip. And I'm like, the last line of the video. Yeah. Or one of the last lines of the video. That's one of the things that drew me to you. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why most of the friends I've had my entire life are gay. They don't give a rip or they've learned not to. Yeah. I always did. <clears throat> yeah. You have to practice that. It's funny. You know, like we had, there's a whole brand built around this idea of no fear, right? No fear. It's mm-hmm. a, a brand lifestyle brand, clothing brand, whatever, stickers. (laughs) And for a long time, they were super popular. You know, you, you, anywhere you went, there was one on the back of a car or a truck or something. And, you know, with the whole social media thing, you've got so many people reposting and sharing the same old trite memes again and again and again and again and again. And and one of them is that, you know, I don't care what so-and-so thinks, blah, 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 blah. And in my experience, the people that I know that post that stuff are the people who care the most. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, who are you trying to convince myself? You know, exactly. <laughs> and so I made guilty a, dude. Guilty. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, you know, I mean, I make a point not to post those things, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not in alignment with it. Yeah. It's not who I am. I, I know on some level I care. And then on another level, it's like, okay, I care, but I'm going to process it. I'm going to process that. And then I'm going to keep moving forward. Right. Cause no matter what happens, you got to keep moving forward mm-hmm. toward the thing that you want. And I think a lot of times people forget that, you know, saying the words or posting a, a cute little meme, you know, that is that is maybe the slightest crack in the door that you need to walk through completely and get to the other side and start really taking a hard look at what really is bugging you or what really is triggering you and uh, someone else, right? Because if someone else is pushing your buttons, they, they're controlling you. They're the masters, yeah. That's it. So So posting no fear or, you know, Um, you know, I don't give a shit or, you know, zero fucks given, whatever your favorite little hashtag is, you are signaling that you care. (laughs) First and foremost, that's what you're telling the world. No one believes that you don't care, at least of all me. If you truly didn't care, you'd walk away from your phone and never look at it again, right? (laughs) If you truly didn't care, you wouldn't make the post. 
right? That's just the reality. So like if you, if you run down the list of things you're attached to, at the top of the list would be everything you posted that you don't give a shit about. That would be exactly what you're attached to. You're signaling to the world exactly what you're attached to. So I make a point not to post things like that. I, I just would rather process them privately and then, you know, come back with some sort of, you know, semblance of wisdom around my learn. What I learned about myself was, hey, this hit me hard and blah, blah, blah. I had to do X, Y, and Z to process it out of my system because it did hit me hard, right? I did feel it. Right? It wasn't, I'm not a robot, you know, and, and my programming was affected in some way, shape, or form. And so from which that- Which was a good thing. Which was a good made thing. Made you right? question. That's exactly it. You know, it's uh, if someone pushes my buttons, then I know that that person has control over me, A. Eh? So the question is why and what buttons did they push and what do I need to look at internally to make sure that the next time someone tries to push that button, it's defunct and it doesn't work unless I want it to work, you know, and that's, that's really the thing. And so social media is one of those things where if you are sensitive to that and you're really working on yourself, it can be a dangerous playground because people post falsehoods all day long Mm -hmm. and that's really what I see happening. And at some point I think it'll shift, you know, people will continue to flood the interwebs with garbage. And on some level people will seek out what's valid and what's true or what's at least effective in their life, you know? And then on another level, you know, there'll always be noise because you've got advertisers and a lot of these quote unquote free programs are marketing you as a product. Like you're a product on Facebook, you're a product on Instagram. You don't pay for that service. So they sell your data uh, you know, you're a product, someone's buying you and, and they're, and they're using that opportunity to, to promote or to advertise back to you. And that's okay. As long as you understand the game, but if you don't understand the game, you can be drastically hurt by those things. So for, so from a fear attachment standpoint, um, those are the things that internally practicing what your life would look like absent those things I think is one of the key aspects to not allowing them to show up on your front doorstep and, you know, kind of punch you in the teeth. Yeah, exactly. So this 11 day journey went on, you're living in a one man tent, it was raining (laughs) and you're one that uh, I respect because you you (laughs) decidedly intentionally purposefully do the hard thing. You build credibility with yourself, within yourself through doing hard things on a consistent basis. Mm. Now hats off. I'm, I'm not always like that. I really enjoy watching and observing others that do it and seeing their results. Yeah. And if I like the results, then I'll try it out. Yeah. Well, I'm going to disagree with you in that I'm always that way because I'm human like every other person. <laughs> I know. see you as always. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, there I like are, that. I have my moments of weakness just like every other mm-hmm. human being. And I'm certainly no David Goggins when it comes I'm to doing I'm glad you disagreed right? then. Yeah. You know, that's just being honest. You know, when I talked to Christina, I I was, you know, I pretty much disconnected from social media for the last two weeks. I, you know, I made like a daily little post in the group, but I didn't make any efforts to really write or, you know, or or really be on a schedule. You were being more than doing. I was just out experiencing what I could experience and then bringing back with me, you know, whatever um, little little experiences that I picked up along the way. Top three most useful things that you learned about yourself or things in general that are most useful to you now in the 11 days. Well, there were some things that were definitely reiterated. One of which is it's very difficult to be alone. Like if you are truly alone, like truly alone in the world 
that's a very difficult place to be because if you are disconnected from the noise, then you have to face yourself. And that is one of the most difficult <laughs> things for people to do. Yes, now, for is. me, I enjoy being alone most of the time, especially when I have control of the environment, right? Like <laughs> yeah. if I can lay on the couch and be alone and just think or turn on a meditation and just disappear into that place and I'm perfectly comfortable and I've got my little pillows and my cute little blanket or whatever, I'm happy as a clam, right? But in this particular instance, you know, I am, I did two shooting events with Go Ruck and then I went straight into a, 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 uh, a tent and it was raining. And then when I spoke to Christina, she's like, you're not going to be in a tent while it's raining. Are you like, there's nothing to do out there. You're cooped up or whatever, whatever. And I just responded. I said, a commitment is a commitment, you know? So commitment is a commitment. That's how I looked at it. And so I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in this tent. I'm going to keep my commitment to myself. And if, you know, I want to get out and about and Hey, water's not going to kill me, you know, it'll be all right. You know? And so that's what I did. I stayed, <laughs> I stayed in this area where it rained pretty much every day, or if it was, wasn't raining, it was cloudy and misty, um, pretty much every single day. And so the biggest thing, uh, that I took away from that was, you know what? We live very, very easy lives. We really, really do. So a, it's difficult for, to be alone when you're really, really alone and disconnected. And B, we live extremely easy lives. I mean, I'm talking about very, very easy lives. And, you know, the last thing that comes to mind is just the noise that is generated from a quiet space in, in my head, at least, is basically useless. Like it just basically useless. And so sitting with that and allowing it to come and go uh, to get to the good stuff was was a very valuable experience. It caused me to question what I'm doing, what I have been doing. It caused me to question my life in general. It caused me to question what I want to do with my life. It caused me to question how hard do I want to live? You know, I mean, the reality is I could I could sell some rental properties and some investments and I could just buy a piece of land somewhere and disappear. And so the temptation was there to do that because there's no stress in that life. There's no, there's really no resistance in that life, you know, aside from, you know, dealing with providing for yourself and, you know, and, and providing a place to live that's adequate or what have you. I mean, there's really nothing keeping me from doing that other than what I want to create. So desire and one of my favorite ideas uh, from Naval is that uh, desire is a contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you acquire the thing. And I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Huh. And that's very true. And so why do I not go uh, buy, you know, 100 acres and just put up a cabin and, and buy a dog and sit in a chair all day long and fish? Well, because there are things that I still want to do with my life. And I don't feel like running from the stresses or the strains of creating what I want to create is beneficial to me as a human. Yeah. I think if it was just me that I might actually move to Alaska and do just that, but it's not just me. I mean, we've got between Carla and I, we've got six kids, three granddaughters. Would we like to move out of Arizona? Hell yeah. Are we gonna? Probably not. You know, well, the, the connection that we have with our people that are closest to us is beautiful and it's expansive and it's not something that we're willing to give up, you know, right. at all. So I, I totally get that. And isn't it funny, Tom and Lisa Bellew, I mean, they, they sold their company 
they had, I don't know how many millions, close to a billion dollars, what the company sold for. And they could go buy an island in Greece, which is where her family's from, and just live out the rest of their days enjoying life. Sure. But look at their drive and their commitment, like their their to-do list every day. And it's really fun to watch them just continue to expand everything they choose to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the thing, you know, what do you want to leave in your wake, so to speak? Mm. What legacy do you really want to leave behind? Yeah. I mean, you can literally, I mean, literally, I mean, life is literally easy enough in North America where if you really want to, to just disappear somewhere, you could, I mean, there's land for sale in Arizona, in Texas, all over the place, really in, you know, remote areas that you can buy for pennies on the dollar the owner will finance it for you. You don't even have to go to a bank and you can buy 20 acres for $20,000. The owner will find you give them a thousand dollars and they'll finance the land for you. Right. So that over 30 years you owe them like 97 bucks a month or something. I mean, what you could go work one day a week at a construction job and take six days off doing nothing and still live really well. If that's how you wanted to spend your days, right? I mean, you could literally do that. Or you can choose to live in San Francisco where it costs, you know, $5,000 to live in a, you know, <laughs> a one bedroom apartment in a nice part of the city. It just comes down to what kind of, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? What do you want to create for yourself? Mm. And I think more people are realizing that having things isn't necessarily what makes you happy, but having resources is the key to unlocking or emancipating yourself. And so when I said earlier, first become a king, then become a philosopher, that's what is meant by that. It's like emancipate yourself from the bullshit first and then come back, right, and help other people do the same with your philosophies. Mm-hmm. Don't be a broke philosopher that nobody wants to listen to because you you have a shopping cart and a tent on the sidewalk, you know? Yeah. That's not going to... Better know what you're talking about better and know be able to prove it That's right. with, with your results. That's right. That's not going to influence very many people, you know, to make a difference in the world. What if the only reason we're here is to learn how to practice getting better and better at creating? Yeah. What if? It, it brings up a lot of questions, asking that question. For me, it's... It's something that makes me think, like, what are we if not creators of our own personal reality internally? That's right. Which literally manifests itself in this physical world. A thought that becomes a thing because we did something to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if, you're, if you believe in free will, then that's almost a necessity. Like, it, it, it just makes sense you know, that you have some form of agency over the life that you want to create. There are plenty of people who don't believe in free will. There are plenty of people that believe that the atoms were set in motion, you know, billions of years ago and that, you know, your atomic structure is interacting the way it's supposed to because it came, because this reaction created that reaction, created this reaction, created the thought in your head, created the belief that you carry, created the action that you took, created the result that you brought into life, right? I mean, there's plenty of people who believe that. And so on some level, you have to ask yourself what, where, where does consciousness, you know, where does that come into play? Does it play a role at all? Um, you know, lots of smart people don't believe that free will exists. Um, some smart people believe that it does. And so that debate rages on. But at the end of the day, if you have agency, if it's true that you have agency, then you owe it to yourself to create for yourself um, or for your community or for your family or for your, 
you know, world, if you will, um, if you magnify that, that ripple out, mm. you, you have an obligation to create something that is win-win for not, you know, for, for yourself and others, right? That's the whole definition. Yeah. You know, how do we get to that place? I don't know. Um, those are the most successful businesses. Those are the results that don't lie. Like, of course. Hey, I'm going to benefit you. You're going to benefit me. And then expansion. It's the Just only relationship that'll last is a win-win relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, they're... Well, interesting, though, that America is such a greed game. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's so much greed that does go on in the world. And it's not just America. It's humans in general. Like the very super elite, super wealthy. It's almost like the design pitfalls for unknowing people that don't know better to fall into so that they can then come up with some sort of a solution that's going to cost them money. Like look at the sugar epidemic that's been around since 60s, 70s that has now caused billions of dollars per year and necessary medication sure for people with type 2 diabetes uh high blood pressure depression i mean all of these things almost all the diseases now come from lack of nutrition through our dietary consumption that's which over consumption of crap calories yeah. exactly and that's yeah. a personal choice it is a personal choice yeah for i'm sure. massively addicted to food and love it love all kinds um however i love good health even more sure so that helps me to make better choices than i would you know yeah for sure (laughs) yeah greed greed i'm not sure i'm not sure i would describe uh the u.s with the term greed because it sounds negative uh i believe that milton friedman uh, years ago the great economist was on phil donahue's show back in the day and uh you know phil phil's grilling about that you know you know, how do you justify the, the haves and the have-nots? It's so much greed and this and that and the other thing that capitalism brings on and blah, blah, blah. And, and Milton Friedman just kind of looked and smiled and he says, what is greed? You know, of course, you and I aren't greedy. It's only the guy over there that's greedy, right? And then he, he goes into politics. He's like, do you think the Russians aren't greedy? Do you think, you know, XYZ person is not greedy? You know, what is greed? And that's a great question to ask, right? Like, what is, what what is, is your it, definition? What does it mean to be greedy? You know, to me, when I think of greed, I think of, you know, someone who is, who has a unlimited self-interest. You know what I mean? Like, it's always about you. Um, and I think what people associate with greed is that they associate wealth with greed. But the reality is some of the poorest people in the world that you'll meet are be the greediest people that you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. What's, what true. is it? What is greedier? Is it greedier to sit on the sidewalk and beg when you're capable of doing work, or is it, or is it greedier to go off and earn a hundred thousand dollars a year and support your family? You know, which one of those things is greedier? Well, in my mind, the person who's not providing value in exchange for the dollars that he takes in is the greedy person. You know, and as long as you're providing value. Uh, again, this, again, you can debate, but it comes down to perceived value, right? What is the perceived value of an iPhone or a, an Android device? Well, millions of people the world over will tell you. <laughs> you know, the perceived value is over $1,000 per handset per person. That's what they're willing to pay. So the perceived value is that. And, you know, are those companies doing ethical things with that money? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the ins and outs. Um 
But I do know that because they take in those dollars, they have the capability to, to do positive things like provide jobs for other people and build economies of scale and support factories and workers and all the rest of it. Whereas someone who's not doing anything on the on the opposite scale isn't contributing on any level has no ability to do anything along those lines. He can't save himself, much less save someone else or offer someone else a hand a hand up, not a handout, right? Mm. Those those are people that I look at and I'm like, I get you because I was you at one point. I, I was yeah. a victim. I had the victim mindset, the mentality, the lifestyle. Sure. Poor me. Look, I'm gonna get all this love and attention because all these bad things happened to me and you know, and I would hear that all the time. Poor guy, you know, this and that. Oh, well, woe is me. Yeah, that wasn't helpful. <laughs> no, it's not helpful at all. At all. Greed, to me, is someone that has a nefarious um, intention that doesn't mind causing harm or allowing harm to happen to those who are innocent in order to gain. Sure. And I see that a lot. I mean, there's an eye operation that costs $2 that our insurance companies pay thousands for. Sure. That literally saves people's eyesight. And for quite a while in India, there were hundreds of thousands of people losing their eyesight. Men, women, children, whatever. I mean, they were just going blind for the whole rest of their human life. Right. Because of this operation that was far too expensive for them to have. Mm -hmm. So there was a foundation that was created and since the operation really is only a couple bucks, a lot of doctors went over there, volunteered their time and resources and energy, and saved the eyesight of so many people. Different things like that. And, and circling back around to what, what about, you know, how is everything perfect if all of these things that we judge as, as bad going on, like there's people starving every day, um, diseases that could be cured, but they don't have enough money to buy that pill or, you know, um, drunk drivers killing, uh, family members, yeah. um, murder, rape, um, the, the child, uh, porn industry, uh, kidnappings, uh, slaughterings. I mean, there are 40 million people that go missing every year and 5 million of those are children just missing. There's a black market for organs. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. And how can you say that's all perfect? Right. So experiencing the contrast of feelings and emotions when we learn about something like that and first we're enraged, then we're energized to do something about it, then, then what? Mm. It, was that useful to learn about that because now we're fighting for the opposite sure. to make things better? Sure, yeah. So to, to look at things as perfect, as at all things as perfect exactly as they are and they can even get better than they currently are. It's just a, a choice or a mind trick, in my opinion, that is useful to me. It, it really does work. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. I mean, there. I think to come back to the idea of greed, I mean, greed does drive a lot of that. You know, I mean, there's nothing worse than someone who is greedy with power. You know, yeah. and, and when I say power, I mean the ability to make or break laws you know, the people who are lobbying for this, lobbying for that. Uh, the insurance world is a morass of all kinds of crazy things. And at the end of the day, if, you know, why you could ask the question, you know, well, if this eye procedure, for example, that costs two bucks, you know, why isn't it being performed in West Virginia or, you know, rural Colorado or whatever place 
in the world, you know, and then you have to look at, okay, well, what's preventing it from existing? Well, you know, regulation, you know, uh, this law versus that law, this license versus that license, you know, can someone um, pay $30,000 a month for malpractice insurance and still charge you a reasonable amount at the doctor's office? Mm. Whereas in, you know, a third world country or an emerging economy like in India where regulation may not be as strict or as upheld uh, through legality, you know, there's a difference in cost there. And so I think a lot of times when people think of greed, they think of big business and certainly big business can be greedy, but by the same token, so can governments. So can people who are taking money under the table, mm-hmm. you know, and it just comes back to that same definition. It, you are greedy if you are taking without provision for others, you know, and I think you said the same thing, but just from the other side of the coin, you know, greed is taking without providing. And I would never want to be the type of person who was associated with something like that or did something like that. But there are plenty of people in the world who just don't care. And unfortunately, a lot of those people seek power. (laughs) You know, it's a, (laughs) it's kind of like that adage, you know, of I forget who says it, but you know, uh, you know, there there's no man in a million who is, you know, who who should be in charge of other men, and those men who seek to be so shouldn't be, kind mm. of a thing. Yeah, and that's kind of what we have right now going on in government. I mean, you look at governments and lobbying groups and committees and organizations, and so many of them are led by people who are just simply in it for themselves. Yeah, you know, corporate America is no different. I mean. Every company just about has a hierarchy and a structure that's designed to funnel pennies to the top. You get enough pennies from enough millions of workers that equals millions of dollars for these overpaid, overcompensated CEOs. And there's a lot of fat in corporate America, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons it is being replaced slowly but surely by 20 year olds, you know, who, who are building, you know, tech companies that do things faster and better. Like the at the end of the day. These these fat bloated corporations that have board members who really contribute nothing but a last name. They knew someone who knew someone whose yeah. daddy was this or that or the other thing. Nepotism's huge. Yeah, but it, it's, it's <laughs> always has been. Yeah, it's it's always it's always been huge, but it's even bigger nowadays because when you look at the structure of things, whether it's government, whether it's um, the largest businesses in the world, you have people who inherited um, power structures or. Uh, businesses that uh, were initially providing tremendous amounts of value, they inherited those things. They were not the people who had the capability to build uh, to build those things, right? Like the people who run GE are not the same people who were able to create GE. You know, the people who run government nowadays are not the same philosophers and poets and businessmen who were able to create those philosophies you know, um, in their travels through Europe and the Enlightenment and, you know, looking at liberal uh, democracies. Those people don't exist anymore. And those power structures have been given to people who will never experience that. And so we experience this vast, vastly sluggish and just garbage-laden system of crap that these people didn't create and don't know how to fix. And because they don't know how to fix it, you have to wonder where it's going to end up. So that's how, in my opinion, greed is perfect. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it comes back around at the end of the day, yeah. What type of solutions are people going to be almost forced into mm-hmm. to rectify all these um, 
if we want to judge it as horrific, you know, situations. Sure. And make them all better. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is one of those ideas that uh, the U.S. Uh, was was inst- was was instrumental in in making, you know, sort of. I don't want to. I don't want to say creating, but but at least brought to the forefront. Like the U.S., we had this idea of separation of church and state, right? Like uh, the, the state can't tell you how, when, where to worship or what to worship. Yeah. But we also should have this idea of separation of state and business. And what we've got is a system where business mm-hmm. has married itself to the state, or the state has married itself to business. You see people from high levels in business go into government, and then you see an administration change in the high level government officials go sit on a board at some big business, yeah. right? And they just cycle in and out and nothing really changes, you know? And so at the end of the and day, they never will until we, that's right. the people change that shit. That's right. And so <laughs> when you, when you look at how those things are changed, it, it, it becomes extremely sort of clear, not sort of, it, it becomes extremely clear as to how important freedom is, how important less legality and less regulation is people don't realize that when a lot of regulation is put forth what it actually does is it kills competition it makes it difficult for the little guy to compete with the big guy and that's why a lot of these big companies support it you know like starbucks one of the largest companies in the world certainly the largest coffee chain you know they're a big supporter of obamacare even though it cost them millions and millions of dollars more because they knew that the little guy couldn't compete the little guy can't do the same thing that the big guy can do. And if we can force the little guy to have to, well, then he has to close his doors. And guess what? We can go in and we can, you know, we can pick up the pieces kind of a thing. I was telling our daughter about your gym on the way here. Yeah. And how you were able to survive it because you set yourself up to survive. And how all of the gyms around our home are gone mm. forever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see them coming back. There's yeah. very few gyms still alive out there. Yeah, I mean, and it's tough right now, you know. I mean, like, uh, I love our community. I love our gym, you know. But the reality is we're not making any money out of the gym. I mean, we're, you know, we're we're in the black, but we're not making any significant money. So the mm-hmm. question becomes, you know, what are we going to do? Well, we either have to grow the community to the point at which it makes sense, you know, or not. You know, those are our two options. And, you know, so at the end of the day, we have to make a decision around that. And is what you're doing lighting you up so much that just barely being in the black is good enough. That's right. Or is it, or does it make more sense just to to devote those resources into another more profitable business? Right. Mm. It's much easier to make money on rental property or much easier to make money and, you know, designing printing t-shirts or are you in the money making business or are you in the legacy business? Or or can you make them both kind of conjoin? Right. And so our vision is to, to bring them together. Right. So we exist for a purpose and that purpose is to, you know, bring power to humanity. You know, it's not it's not that a workout is going to save you. Right. But a series of workouts is going to change your mindset because you're going to be forced to face who you are mm-hmm. when you want to quit. You know, <laughs> I want to quit because this is hard. OK, well, are you going to quit because this is hard? Or are you going to keep going? You know, who are you going to be in this moment? Right. You have that decision to make. So, you know, the gym is one of the perfect analogies to life because you only get what you earn. No one can tax your gains or your losses. Right. And you don't get credit for just showing up. You actually have to do something. Right. <laughs> so it's the antithesis of everything you're taught in the real in quote unquote school world that it takes to be, you know, a good employee. Right. If you show yeah. up on time, you do your job nominally. Right. You stay out of trouble. Keep your nose clean. They're going to give you a paycheck. You know? I guarantee you. Because I've lived this. If you go in there and you bust your ass at a lower level, 
expecting more because you're doing more, that ain't going to happen either. No, <laughs> not especially not in a big organization. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of those things too, you know, I mean, if you, if you, if you buy the lie, right, like in terms of just talk monetary success, forget happiness, success, which is probably more important, right? Monetary, the monetary success lie from school is that if you go to school, go to college, you can graduate and get a safe, secure job. Well, there is no such thing as a safe, secure job not anymore. <laughs> no, definitely not. And not even before that. Right. But even especially now, right. There are no, there is no modern pension unless you work for the government right? the government takes care of its own better than any other institution ever will. It seeks, it seeks more power and it, and it can vote itself more power and more money at any time. And it has no competitors and just keep printing money and giving it away. <laughs> yeah. And you know, as a business, a business can't do that. You know, business actually has to provide value. So even if you have, even if you're working for a greedy set of pricks that sit on some big business board, they still have to provide value because they have to be able to produce enough income to justify the expense of a label force or a factory or whatever. And if they can't produce that, then their stock gets sold or the owner goes into the red and, you know, basically has to sacrifice uh, a mortgage on the house or whatever. You put a lot at risk. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, you know, you know, what do you want to be? Well, you're never going to be wealthy working for someone else because your labor is bought and sold at a premium. You know, you negotiate what you're going to get paid. They, they're paying you whatever they're paying you, knowing that they can, knowing that you're worth more on the backside. Then that's the only way business can work. So when you go in for a job, you're actually selling your labor. You're not, you know, I'm, I'm here and I am willing to perform XYZ task for XYZ amount of money per hour, per week, or per salary or what have you. You're selling your labor and the business is negotiating with you trying to get the best deal. Just like you would if you were the business owner and the roles were reversed. Yep. Because the more profits you can put to the bottom line, the more security you have, the happier shareholders are, blah, 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 blah. And that makes sense. You know, because on some level, if you are putting capital at risk, okay, you're the one putting capital at risk. The Marxists believe that, you know, it's the workers who make the business and the capitalists believe that it's the business that give the workers the opportunity. So it, it just comes down to which one of those things is true. If a bunch of workers got together today, I, I tend to land on the capitalist side. I mean, if a bunch of workers got together today and said, hey, we want to work. Okay, well, what are you going to build you know, do you have a factory? Do you have the infrastructure in place? What are you going to do? Well, we just want to build. We want to work. We want to sell you our labor. Okay, great. Well, do it. Yeah, what are your skills? Right? <laughs> what, what are you going to produce? The capitalist comes in and says, hey, we're going to put a shit ton of money at risk and build this factory, and we need to hire 300 people, and we're willing to pay XYZ dollars per hour. Do you want to trade your time for this dollar? And you're voluntarily choosing in or not. Right. And then you're going to complain about that. And then you're oh, going to complain yeah. about that. Yeah, Bad exactly. <laughs> exactly. So your options are, you know, sell yourself wholesale while the business sells you retail and they have to, to be able to pay you and to pay all the fat cats at the top who invested the cash. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you branch out on your own and you take your own risks. Right. Which is more scary. Which is more scary. Which is also more fruitful. Yeah, which is more fruitful. Yeah, when you're, in the, when you're in the world of entrepreneurship, when you go from employee to entrepreneur or entrepreneur to entrepreneur, however you want to frame it, yeah, it's a hunt and fish kind of a day. If you don't hunt and fish, you don't eat. Simple as that. You know, you don't get paid for showing up. You get paid for creating results. The end. And when the bills come every month, 
regardless, hey, you better have something in your bag, right? You better have something that you sold or you better have some result that you've created. You know, you don't get credit for showing up. So it's, it's a massive, massive difference. I'm not even sure how we got on that, but. Greed. Greed, yeah. So what is greed? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't see any of what we just discussed uh, as greedy. Uh, that's just the way things need to be in order to provide value for everything and everyone. And the workers that are selling their their time and effort and energy mm-hmm. for any price, that's a choice. It's a personal choice. Right. And to make that choice and then complain about it is something that I am totally guilty of. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to do. We've all been there. But experiencing that contrast is so useful because that data, that feedback, that information then tells me, hey, this sucks. Okay, well, what are you going to do about it? That's right. Because at some point you got to stop complaining and start taking action. And so, again, perfection, right? Producing results that need to come about because I say so for me. That's my truth. That's, That's my moment to decide what I do and don't want. Right. As a worker or future business owner or, or anything, what, what is it that I really, truly want? You know? And having that freedom is key. It would be different if you were forced to work at a certain company. That would change the game entirely. And that's where many soci- countries, that's yeah, the socialism, is, yeah. the Marxism, that's what they do. You know, you're born into this, then you do that. You know, your number X, Y, Z in line, therefore you get this kind of bread, you know. Yeah, you're a 12-year-old in the diamond <laughs> mines working 14 hours a yeah, day. Yeah, you don't yeah. have many choices. Yeah, for pennies on the penny, you know, yeah. not even pennies on the dollar, right? Like, I mean, there's just, there's so many ways to take advantage of people when they don't have choices. So, you know, the best thing that you can have in, in any scenario is choices. And the question is, how do you create more choices financially is you set yourself up financially not to be on the dole of someone else, right? Not yeah. to be dependent. If your job went away tomorrow, could you survive for the next two years kind of a thing, you know, while you figured it out or while you took a, a four week vacation or whatever, you know, and most people have what less than $500 in their savings account. And, you know, so yeah, I get it. I mean, it, there's something to complain about there, but whose fault is it that you've got $500 in your savings <laughs> account? And you're still shopping on Amazon right this moment. Yeah. Yeah. You got that $120 pair of jeans, that $1,100 iPhone, you know, the most expensive data plan. You've got your Netflix account, your Prime account, your Audible account. You know, all this money is flowing out to all these services. But what are you actually doing to produce money to come back in on a regular basis? And that's where people forget it, you know. Uh, Easy to do. Easy to do. Yeah, for sure. Especially today. You know, marketers are good. You know, they get paid a lot of money because oh, they're good. Trillions of dollars a year goes into marketing. Absolutely. And they're brilliant at brainwashing. There's a, a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Oh, my gosh, man. I'm so glad that I listened to that book. It was incredible. I was like, I never thought of these things. Never once. And mm. I'm so glad that those things were brought to my attention. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a great book. It's, how are we doing on time? Oh, we're good, man. How, how are you doing on time? I got forever. You got forever? Oh, shit. Well, <laughs> well we can't go forever. But yeah. How much space go you got on it? No. <laughs> Only 12 hours left okay, on the, well, on the SD then. card. So, yeah. So, There's I think we're all right. We one thing that I have been uh, thinking about a lot, it, it was introduced to me last year by Ferenc Toth, a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ferenc is great. He was talking about the Zig Ziglar wheel of life and how uh, balance is good, you know. And if you have an imbalanced area of your life, it then forms sort of a bubble on your tire going down the freeway 90 you got a bumpy ride eventually going to blow out 
and it'll be a mess. Yeah. But if you got a nice, well-rounded, even out, like well-balanced wheel and tire, then away you go. And you can go anywhere for a lot longer and have leftover, you know, tread. Of course. But the one thing that I realized is the, the quality of our self-image can be, um, in the analogy, the very center of it all. Uh, and the quality of our self-image uh, dictates the quality of the choices we're going to make because we'll only allow what we feel we deserve to come into our minds and into our lives. We can have all the good luck in the world and not even know it because we feel like a piece of shit. And we literally, vibrationally, frequency-wise, what, whatever, you know, demagnetize those good things from our current state of how we feel about ourselves. So... When it comes down to self-image, we've talked about it before. Bruce Lipton teaches quite a lot about it, how the first seven years of our lives, um, we're sort of programmed with the programs that we will use to then live the entire rest of our lives. That's right. He explains how uh, a really stupid child can be born into a very wealthy family and remain wealthy the whole rest of their lives, whereas a, a really bright um uh, studious, hardworking, a brilliant child can be born into a very uh, poor family mm -hmm. and remain poor the rest of their lives. That's right. So what are some ways then I had to ask, you know, that we can upgrade those programs within our subconscious? And I know that in, in the past, I, I didn't even think of that or, or recognize that as a possibility. And then I heard some Bruce Lipton content about, you know, through repetition. Um, there's also uh, certain times uh, of the day as we drift in and out of sleep, if we listen to audio, that we can literally reprogram because the brain waves go from theta to alpha to gamma and in and out of there right in between the switchover is where the subconscious is then open to be reprogrammed which just doesn't happen in adulthood usually. That's right. Hypnosis, EFT, all these different ways to reprogram the subconscious mind. Um, admittedly, I mean, I, I tried the repetition route, and that's why I, I write the same thing once a year every day and then repost it as a reminder, a repetitious reminder for me of where I'm expanding into. Mm-hmm. But then I've never tried things like hypnosis or EFT, like the tapping and the repetition there. And um, I have recently tried going in and out of sleep, listening to audio that I created for myself. And that seems to be a lot quicker than the repetition over years for some reason. But our, our self-image, I mean, how, how do you define yourself in a, when meeting new people or you stand up in a room and you have to introduce yourself like in two minutes, right? Like, who are you? What role are you going to choose to play in that room? Are you going to care what others perceptions of you really are? Are you going to be who you are at your core? You know, there's a lot of decisions that come into play in, in different environments and different groups of people. Truly. Can you be, who and what you really are at your core at all times. I think if you're not attached to the process or the outcomes, then yes is the answer. 
The question is, are you able to detach? I do this a lot. It's funny that you mentioned that because at uh, the shooter events, for example, you know, I was the least experienced person there. And so what role do I play? Do I play the guy who fakes it? You know, do I play the guy who is like intently listening? Do I play the guy who has the false confidence? You know, what role do I play? You know, and I chose to play the role of the guy who just listens. And whatever they tell me to do, I'm just going to, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, right along with it. Because I don't know enough to ask questions, A, and B, I have no authority in that space, right? So would it behoove me to argue with people when I have no authority? No, not at all. <laughs> it would be completely ineffectual, right? So, so my tact was consciously to just listen, you know, to be amiable, to, to, to be kind to people, to listen, and to pick up as much technique as I could, you know, from these people who are farther down the road than, than I am by a long shot. And I didn't have to do that. But I think when it comes to the vast majority of people, I don't see a lot of questioning of that. You just show up how you show up. And sometimes a lot of that, a lot of that is the insecurity just causes people to be quiet. I'm just going to quietly sit in the corner and, and disappear, right? I don't know myself in this space. But if you have a value system to check in against, I think that's really where the answer to that question comes into play, you know? What do you want your what do you want to represent? What do you want to be about? What is your value system? Well, you know, if you're here to learn, then oh, it's cool, you know. You're here to learn, you know. You're you don't you take all the pressure off yourself. You know, I don't know anything. I'm surrounded by betters and I'm just going to listen. Right? Or the insecurity kicks in and you say, "Well, I'm going to pretend to be the guy that knows everything." That used to be me. That was me as as a younger guy. I was so insecure that I would just fake it. I would pretend that I knew everything and I developed that relationship, that reputation as a know-it-all, right? And it took a long time for me to understand that I need to be, if I want to be effective in learning, I need to be a perpetual student. So I'm guessing that along the way, someone or many someone's provided feedback and information yes. to you that was painful and caused yes. you to suffer and you decided to change that way. Oh yeah, I mean, I was in resistance. I mean, like, you, you know, you, you could look up resistance in the dictionary at that time in my life and there'd be a picture of me with a scowl on my face, right? Like, <laughs> you're wrong, you know, I'm, that's not who I am, blah, 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 mm. you know, but that was who I was. And that's okay. And that's okay. You know, that, that was, that was part of my experience. That was part of what I had to go through to understand that I don't know anything and that I am coming from a place of humility, even though maybe sometimes my voice doesn't sound like it. Internally, I see myself as a perpetual student. And what I do feel like is valid or effective, I preach with fervor, right? But what I don't know, I'm not afraid to say, hey, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. That's such a brilliant place to find yourself <laughs> at all times, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it takes the pressure off. I think uh, Tom Bilyeu talks about that, right? Like, you just take the pressure off when you admit, listen, you don't, you don't know, but you don't have to know. Mm -mm. You know, you can know later. Right now, you can learn. That's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. I have a high regard for people who are perpetual learners. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, that's something that's very new for me. Uh, I think that we spoke about it in the very first interview <laughs> we did together, mm -hmm. um, where my own personal self-image caused me a lot of damage in my life. It caused me to make some very poor choices and experience some results that were in alignment with those choices. Sure. Uh, you 
you get what you deserve in this life, period. I believe that now. Um, I ended up being a, a victim for many years. Uh, I, I could say that I made a lot of mistakes, had a lot of failures, that uh, I did a lot of things incorrectly, but I really don't believe any of that. I, I believe that I did my best with what I knew how to do at the time. And now I, my self-image is I'm someone who always does their best. And I mess up, quote unquote, all the time. However, those mess ups are perfect. Those failures are perfect. The suffering is perfect because it's all information uh, provided to me, allowing me the opportunity to be free and choose yes. what to do differently, how to expand and grow and progress. Yes. So image, um, self-image especially, for me has become something so massively useful and to be able to self-identify as source energy rather than this flawed human, that's to some people very unreligious, um, not very humble. <laughs> it's like going into a room and I self-identify as God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I see what you're saying. But yeah. if we, if the person self-identifying as God or source energy sees everyone else as equals, mm -hmm. that to me is also useful. Um, in the way that I treat people, um, judgment, criticism, um, trying to shine a spotlight on the failures of others so that my successes can seem greater and I can prop myself up in a false way. Yeah. Um, those are all things that I spent my entire life doing. Sure. Yeah. I, I've been there. <laughs> I can totally relate. And it's, it's really easy to get attached to those outcomes. And that's where that idea of being locked in a moment forever comes from, you know, like mm. you're not letting go of your letting go, let go of your past kind of a thing, right? Like, what does that really mean? Well, it really means you're dis disassociating or you're not attaching yourself to an outcome. You are not your outcomes, right? Your outcomes are your outcomes. Mm. You produced something. And in, in the same way that you produced that thing, you can produce something else based on what you're doing in the moment. Right. You are what you do to a certain extent, not what you create and making wrong outcomes or ineffective outcomes. However you want to term it is part of getting to the, the meat of the matter where you can actually create effective outcomes. Like you have to know what doesn't work in order to know what yeah. works. You got to experience the contrast. Yeah. And that's when you talk about everything is perfect. That's how I view it. Right. Like this thing is perfect because it taught me yes, this is effective or no, this is ineffective. And that causes me to feel some kind of way. And because I feel some kind of way, I'm going to do this or not do this. Right? It's working and those for feelings and emotions are the immediate yes. feedback that right. we get to experience in these human bodies. Yes. You know, stick your hand into a, a meat grinder and see what happens. You know? No, thank you. <laughs> I'll pass. Yeah, sometimes we can learn through the mistakes of others. Quote the, unquote, the wise mistakes. man learns from the mistake of others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to put my hand in a meat grinder because I know what that, I understand physics enough to know that my hand is not going to come out anything but mangled. And the stupid man will keep putting the hand in the meat grinder over and That's over right. and over for years. And That's right. <laughs> and, and you could say that we're all stupid on some, on some level. I'm using the word stupid, you know, sort of metaphorically. Like, we're all blind in some area. We're all myopic in some area. And whatever that area is, we need a, a set of eyes outside of us to tell us, hey, you know, this isn't working for you. And that's where that, I, that's where the self-image of, listen, you can be a learner. You don't have to know all the 
answers. Mm -hmm. That's the value of that because now someone can teach you. And if you're unteachable, then you're never going to, you're never going to get it. And there's been, I mean, so many times in my life when I was younger, especially where I was just totally unteachable. I actually had a guitar instructor tell my parents that one time he's unteachable. Like when I was eight years old. Right. And then, and then that came from so much uncertainty in my life that I had to create certainty for myself. Mm. You know, so that programming again from the zero to six was so uncertain that I had to create certainty for myself to the point that when I was eight, I had a guitar teacher say, well, I can't teach him anything. You know, even though I didn't know anything about guitar, that that's just crazy. But when you think about it, it made a lot of sense, you know, it makes, it made a lot of sense as to why that was when you looked at my life, the the chaos that, huh. that my life was a, as a young little tyke. And isn't it crazy how you can go back and connect the dots and realize in this moment now, how perfect it really all was. Yeah, you sure. would not be who you are today as a human being had you not had every single one of those experiences to teach you so, so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it, right? Like you, your history is your teacher or it's nothing, right? Like it's your teacher or your prison. Which is it going to be? Like it's mm-hmm. going to, you're going to learn from it or you're going to be a, a prisoner of it. So which of those things serves you more? Wow. Yeah, expanding out of the ego and learning this different psychological jargon of the the different self-images, different roles we all play. And yeah. like, who the hell am I? You know, after a while. And how do you really get down into the depths of your soul to figure out who the hell you really are? You have to do hard things. I mean, that's it. I mean, in, in my opinion, like again, and I don't know anything. So take that from, I'm just a guy in a room with a microphone. Right? I don't know anything. But for me, you learn who you are when you do hard things. You learn, you're ineff- you, you, you learn where you're ineffective, you learn where you're effective when you do hard things. You know? And if you do hard things enough, you'll do some crazy things. You know, I remember uh, last year when I did that uh, 50K, that 30-mile um, run or 32-mile run, whatever it was, you know, and I did it overnight. It was the first time I'd ever done a distance like that. My feet were killing me. I was hurting. I was tired. You know, um, and I was just saying stupid shit to myself to keep going. You know, I was making up little songs about how I can't be hurt, can't hurt me and this and that and the other thing. You know, I'm just going to keep going. Or this pain isn't real and blah, blah, blah. I'm just making up dumb shit songs. Right. Mm-hmm. But I learned that in those moments that I could turn into the type of person to say enough stupid shit to keep going. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't going to quit. You know, I just wasn't going to quit. So I learned that at least on a 30 miles or a 50 K, whatever it is, that you know, I can get through. You, you know? learn that about yourself. I learned that about myself, right? What if your programming at that time had been to beat up on yourself, compare yourself to everybody else doing better than you, sure. to shine a spotlight on their successes and make you feel like more of a failure, you know? Right. You think you would have finished that race or even gotten halfway through? No, if you have, if, if you're the type of person that goes into something defeated, you will be defeated. One way or another, you will be defeated. Like if you give yourself an out, you will take the out. So what kind of a repetitious mantra could somebody who is always habitually feeling defeated begin to implement into their lives? Like, say, they get out of the shower in the morning, they look in the mirror, and they got this thing posted on the mirror. What would be something useful for that defeated person who self-identifies as defeated all the time? What could they repeat to themselves? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to stop seeing yourself as defeated. I mean, if you see yourself as defeated, you're defeated. And so where does the confidence to know that you are able to complete a task come from it comes from doing things 
right? Like you can't sit in a room and learn to be confident. You can't read a book and learn to be confident. You, you know, you can't watch, uh, you know, David Goggins and learn to be confident. It's inspiring, but it, you're not going to learn confidence in your own abilities until you do the thing. And Dan Kennedy talks about this, not Dan Kennedy. Oh, shoot. Oh, man. Oh, shoot. What's a guy's name? Not Dan Kennedy. It'll, it'll come to me in a minute, but he talks, if you just Google the four C's formula, it'll come up. Um, and I'm, it's, it's not Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy's a famous marketer. Um, but anyway, the four C's, like the last C is confidence. Like confidence comes at the end of your commitment, right? You go into a thing committed, right? And you have questions about yourself. You have questions about, you're going to have questions about yourself when you go into the unknown. There's no other way to go into the unknown other than with questions. Like, Elon Musk, uh, you know, was recently talking about how people are going to die on the way to Mars. You know, we're going to Mars and people are going to die. Okay. Well, that tells me he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in every mission being successful. Right. But eventually every mission will have a high probability of success, but not initially. So we don't know what we don't know until we go into that place and start figuring it out. You don't know that you can survive an attack. You don't know that you can survive a 50K. You don't know that you can survive job losses or, you know, a mountain of bills. You don't know that you can survive those things until you've survived them. And then once you've survived them, then you have the confidence and it's like, okay, you know, I've been here before. Now I know that I've been through this once. Okay. You know, it's the same thing all over again. Here's what I got to do. You so know. going through it once and barely surviving it is completely different than really thriving within all of that, right? Absolutely. So through repetition, I mean, it, you're in the middle of a, you call it a 75 day. 75 hard from, Christina's doing it with Andy Frisella, yeah, his program, 75 hard. That I think is a great way for anybody to build up confidence physically. So there's all these different areas of our lives, right? Sure. Part of the wheel of life. There's spirituality, there's right. finances, there's communication, relationships, um, work, life. Absolutely. Uh, so you've kind of uh, got it down when it comes to doing hard things physically and mm. Gaining like, credibility. That's given me too much credit. <laughs> if I'm comparing you to, say, me or others. Uh, yeah, you're giving me um, too much credit. I can do what I, I know that I can do what I've done before, I think is the mantra that everyone should have. I know that I can do what I've done before, right? And today I'm going to do it. And, yeah, and I like and, That's and a good mantra. And here's the thing. I know that I can do what I've done before. All right. I survived yesterday. I can survive today. If you're in that place of, oh, woe is me, Right. I survived yesterday. I can survive today. And how can I do it better? Right. Yeah. So if your sights are set only on survival, that's what you will do. I get what you're, I get the angle that you're coming from. Like you yeah. want to get from survival to thriving, yeah. right? Yeah. My dad used to say this all the time. Well, son, you know, I'm just trying to get by, just trying to pay the bills. And he was always able to pay the fucking bills, but he never thrived in that place. Because that, was, that wasn't his goal. His goal was to survive the monthly bills, not thrive. You know, so there were times in winter where we didn't have winter coats because that wasn't part of the bills that he factored in, right? And that's okay. You know, I learned a lot from being made fun of for wearing the same T-shirt to school in winter every freaking day, right? Yeah. That's okay. Um, but if you want to have confidence in a thing, you have to do the thing first. It doesn't come before the thing. It always comes at the end of the thing. And that's what doing hard things gives you the ability to do. It's, it's okay. I've, 
I'm going into an unknown place. We, we just did this with um, the Bataan uh, Death March. You know, uh, we did a 26.2-mile ruck or 42K ruck out in the middle of the desert. And, you know, I carried a 20-pound vest most of the way. And I didn't know if I could do that. Man, the last four miles, there were three of us who finished the last four miles. My feet felt like raw nubs on my shoes. I just, they felt horrible, right? Like every step hurt. And the reality is if I had given myself an out, um, or if I wasn't there with other people watching me finish those four miles, I might not have finished those four miles, right? But now that I've done it, I know what to expect. And probably if I do it again, I'll have a better pair of shoes and it won't be as difficult because now I have the knowledge. I need a bigger toe box if I'm going to be doing that much distance, carrying weight. My feet were killing me, you know. And at the end of the day, I know from previous experience that that is no longer an unknown for me. Like barring some crazy circumstance where I hurt my knee or turn an ankle or some crazy thing like that, I'm going to finish that distance. It's just going to happen. So a mantra uh, uh, or a self-identification, repetitious programming that we can use would be, I'm someone who does hard things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, of course. That's a great place to start. Of course. I I love Maria Forleo. She says, everything is figureoutable. Figureoutable, yeah. That's her. Everything is fixable too. Yeah. Everything's fixable. Everything's figureoutable. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, you know, it's great. I mean, I think she talks about her mom used to say that when she was a kid, right? Her, she, her mom would was, you know, just some woman, but she was like fixing radios and, you know, all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff like that. Everything's figureoutable. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, but when it comes time to what you say to yourself, I think it's going to vary depending on the person. And the reality is if you, I'll give you an example from real life. I love riding dirt bikes. But I am terrible when it comes to jumping a dirt bike. Like, I'm not one of those guys that's going to sail 100 feet through the air, right? Because that scares the shit out of me. But you know what? I can jump 16 feet and 20 feet and maybe 30 feet on a good day. And if I did that enough, right, then I could eventually work up to those longer distances, right? But I won't know until I give it a shot. There's no way of knowing until I do it. And once your wheels leave the ground, man, there's no turning back. You cannot change the direction of travel once those those tires come off the dirt. Yeah, it's almost like that quote. I think I posted it in one of your question things this morning about the, the baby bird talking to the mama bird just about to leave the nest for the first time. But what if I fall, mom? <laughs> oh, but dear, but what if you what fly? If you fly? You know? Yeah, exactly. The what if game goes both ways. But yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that idea of commitment, right? Then hmm. once you're committed, you cannot allow any chicken exits. Because if you do, and you're sort of not all the way in, then you'll take one of those chicken hands. And so doing, you recreate a self-identity of someone who doesn't finish. Bingo. I'm not actually committed when I say I am. Ding, ding, ding. That's a, a misalignment that is very damaging. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean... Uh, we'll start small. Start small. Keep doing right. it and, and see how far you can go. Why not? I mean, that's really the answer to all of it, right? Like if you, you want to do 50K... Start with five. Let me see if I can walk this mile first. And then do 10. Yeah. yeah, and then just elevate it from there. Like, that's the surefire way of doing it. And there's really no, I'll say there's really no mystery or fear in, in doing that. Because you know, hey, if I did five, I could probably do 10. 
I just did five twice. It's no big deal, right? Or 15. I did 10. I could, I could do 15, right? So that's the way you take the fear away. But if you want to find out who you are as a person, you let the fear exist. And you say, well, I, the most I've ever done is 15, but this weekend I'm doing 42. Just to see what happens. Just to see what happens. See who I yeah. am when it gets hard. I brought home the David Goggins interview to my son, Draven, a couple of years ago. And he watched it. He goes, huh, okay, cool. And I didn't think much of it. And the next day, he texted me at 5.30. We had been working for half an hour already in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And he said, hey, pick me up at the, the school track. I'm going to be running all day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? He goes, yeah, I'm just going to see what I can do. So no training, no preparation. Mm-hmm. He brought a bunch of bottles of water and uh, took a couple of leaks behind the bleachers that day and thankfully didn't get caught. And he, he ran over 26 miles. Amazing. And I was like, what? Crap, is a marathon with this kid. You know? And then a week later, he goes, well, let's see how many pull-ups I can do today. 24 hours. And he did it for four and a half hours, but he did like 420 pull-ups. Amazing. Just pump some out, rest for a little while, pump some more out, rest just to see what he could do. Right. How incredible would this world be if everyone tried anything and everything that interested them at all. That's right. Just to see what they could do. That's right. Instead of. Coming home and habitually turning on the TV. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and that's where desire comes into play. You know, if if all of your desire has been taken from you, if you've traded your desire for Netflix or a paycheck or, you know, a big fat plate of food or whatever the thing, if you've traded your desire for all of that, then you have no motivation. And I feel like a lot of times what we face in the political world is we, we see people who want to institute policies that remove people's motivation. They, they forget people are incentivized to do certain things, right? Just like the, the, the trouble hiring right now is people don't want to come back to work because unemployment's so good, Yeah. right? Well, who could have thought that if you pay people a lot of money to stay at home that they'd want to stay <laughs> home? Who, who I know so many up, people. Imagine that, yep. right? Like, imagine yeah. that. Like, and, you know, I'm listening. I'm not a scientist or anything, and, and <laughs> I don't think you are either. <laughs> But any moron with two brain cells that weren't fighting could tell you that that would be the outcome. And yet, here we are with people at the highest levels of government Why? surprised so, that what people purpose don't will that serve? Why exactly. did they implement that program? Well, I mean, you know, you can, again, incentivize people to vote for you when you give them free shit. That is the purpose of pretty much all, you know, handouts of government. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But unsurprising. Right. Like, I mean, were you surprised that if you give people more money to stay home, that they wanted to stay home? Is that a surprise on any level? Honestly, I put myself in their shoes and I asked myself, would I rather be working and have a, a routine and a daily set of rituals that made me feel good about myself and help me to feel fulfilled sure. and to provide for me and my loved ones? Or would I rather have that same money coming to me and even more mm-hmm. just doing whatever the hell I want? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, man, I would love to do whatever the hell I want all day long and have somebody else flip the bill. Sure. Sure. Who, I mean, who but wouldn't? I'm not willing to go there. <laughs> I just right. can't do it. Right. And how much of you would you sacrifice if you basically became a slave to that? Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, you know, if you're how 19, debilitating. Yeah. If you're 19 years old, who cares? Like You don't know anything anyway, and you're not going anywhere yet. You haven't figured life out unless you're one of the rare few. But if you're, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, and you're at home 
you know, receiving money for staying home. And being scared you might get sick if you go out of the home. Exactly, and, and being fearful and all the rest of the craziness that's going on, right? What incentive do you have to go back to work? You, you don't, Mm-mm. you know, and especially if, if you're at a point in life where you've basically said, all right, well, I'm just going to mail it in from this point, <laughs> you know, and, you're, and your beer drinking buddies think, oh, that's cool, man. We could just stay home and we could drink beer, watch Netflix, you know. You have no incentive. I'll be honest. I thought about doing that and writing a, a couple books, getting them published and for sale on Amazon. And there I was like, go. there's the time I need right there. Yeah. I, I just still, I couldn't do it, man. Right. And what the hell's wrong with me that I couldn't go do something so simple and use that system to mm-hmm. perpetuate something else that sure. could create a long lasting income someday. Yeah. You know, and in I that scenario, know. like that's to me, that's almost worth it. You know, like if you're, <laughs> if you have yeah. a purpose behind it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on that. Like, okay. Can you, <laughs> can you bring value to the world by taking uh, unemployment? You know, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you a pass because the reality of it is, is all the money is fake anyway. It's, you know, it's a book entry in a computer somewhere. It doesn't really exist. You're not taking from someone except for the fact that government is creating inflation. So in that way, it's an invisible tax, but okay. You, creating books that might help people. Okay. You know, I'm probably going to give you a pass on that. Right. And that's another topic that keeps coming up is the housing market here. I mean, I have friends everywhere, yeah. that are going $70,000 over the already outrageous offer and getting outbid by cash offers from people in that's California. Crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Nobody can find a place to rent, a, a place to live, a home to buy. It's yeah. insane out there right now. It really is. So yeah, they are creating some issues. Yeah, for sure. There's going to be some backlash, but it's perfect, again, <laughs> because of what it will create. It's going to open up new opportunities. Limitless perfection is a perspective. Sure. And if we can complain about something, but then say, oh, yeah, it's perfect. It's exactly as it needs to be for now for more to unfold perfectly. Mm-hmm. Eh, it might be all bullshit. I don't know. Does everything matter or does nothing matter? It's, right. it's a mindset. Yeah, I mean, if you're 20 years old right now and you're working hourly, you know, and you want to buy a house, then you pretty much don't think it's perfect right now. Yeah, good you know, luck. I mean, good luck. I mean, it's going to be tough. But then the question becomes, uh, you know, what is the lesson in all of it? Mm. You know, um, and, but, you know, at 20 years old, you know, it's tough. You know, you're in your 20s, maybe you're a young family. You want to buy a house. Home prices are going through the roof. You know, it's uh, going to have to move out of state or figure something out of state, out. figure something yeah. else out. Right. But maybe the. Again, depending on perspective, maybe it causes you to learn about money. Maybe it causes you to take a look at what creates inflation or what creates these bubbles in the marketplace. Great question. What's the gift right. and what's going on right now? Right. Maybe uh, now's a good time to start thinking about creating a business for yourself right. and your family. That's right. But, you know, again, if you're 20 years old and you haven't been thinking down that path, you're probably not looking at this as a gift. You know, you're too young to see it as a gift. I think at this point, your mind is you're listening to this, uh, this podcast, (laughs) right? Great job. Jason. You're bringing (laughs) to the forefront of minds everywhere. What needs to be said and heard. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Now money is something that, uh, I learned about late in life and had I learned about it earlier, I would be further down that road now. However, like you said, you know, there were some things that occurred in my life that caused me to take a hard look and I've been able to do pretty good. But pretty good. There's a difference between, you know, where I'm at, where a 20 year old might be and where someone in their 60s who made a lot of good decisions might be. Um, And so if you're in that younger demographic, 
I would say that this would be an, a perfect opportunity to take a look at what creates or what multiplies, you know, assets. Because in the same way that there's a lot of struggle in terms of wanting to acquire something like a property, there's also a lot of opportunity if you learn how to play the market in terms of, you know, how can I pull value or create value for other people in this market, you know? And um, maybe that's in the form of sales. Maybe that's in the form of flipping properties. Maybe that's in the form of construction. Maybe that causes you to look at that college degree in, you know, underwater basket weaving as worthless and you go out in the world with no debt and you create a handyman or a construction business and you kill it, you know? I mean, it, it's, it could go a, mil- a million different ways, right? And it's each person's own individual unique journey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It makes it awesome. Definitely, man. Well, shit, man, we've covered like the world of, of worlds today. Like myriad <laughs> of topics. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything that you'd like to uh, bring to the forefront before we close her out? Um, I, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with Ferentz Toth, our, our financial friend. Yeah. We'll call him. And, um, it, he gave some really great tips in that. Um, if for anybody that wants to connect with me through uh, goodinthehead.com, you hit the menu, you go to the podcast, you, it, there's, there's a lot of uh, different tools and uh, opportunities for our personal upgrades within that website. Um, thank you so much for this platform that, course, that you share with the world. Um, you've had a lot of really incredible guests on here. I haven't listened to all of them, I'll be honest, but I've listened to a lot of them. And I am always receiving upgrade ideas. Uh, from listening to your content as well as all the other books and content that I listen to. So um, everything's figureoutable, everything is fixable, and in every aspect of your life, you are upgradable. And that's just a personal choice. That's that's what I've got. I love it, man. Anytime you can give power and agency back to people, let them know that they really, you know, they really do have the ability to shift you know, I think uh, is a it's a, just a, such a powerful thing. And I know that's what you seek to do every single day. You're out there in the world. You're putting great things forward. It is much appreciated. As I said, you know, I, I fell back on a lot of your stuff this, this past month or so. So I appreciate you you doing that, man. Anything you want to promote? Anything uh, you, uh, you're working on outside uh, of the usual stuff? Honestly, I'm doing a lot of work, not on just me, but on my... Um, circle on my family, friends, my wife, our relationship. I got caught up for a really long time in personal development. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting caught up in development of uh, not just myself, but my relationships with others. Beautiful. And uh, trying to be less judgmental and critical and coming from an internal spot and doing that less towards myself it's empowered me to be less judgmental and critical towards others as well. So the whole self-image practice, the mantras, the repetition of how you really truly want to redefine yourself, uh, it, it affects every aspect of your personal reality and the relationships you have. And I've experienced some massive upgrades lately that is causing bliss and enjoyment in my life. That's amazing, bro. We're, we're going to have to uh, record another episode and talk all about that for sure. B do have, right? That's it, man. B do you have. Well, bro, I appreciate you coming up today. Um, I know the wifey's probably out shopping still. 
Yeah, they're having yeah. fun. <laughs> they love it when you come up here now. Yeah, they, they, when you they come plan up here. a day. So we'll have to, uh, <laughs> I think we're just going to have to make a regular occurrence of checking in. I appreciate the energetic upgrade. I definitely feel lighter after having this conversation. And hey, that's a win in my book, brother. Right on. We're all vibrational beings. And every time I'm around you, I vibrate higher. So that's it, man. And, in, and if something's not lighting me up, why do it? That's it. You know, if it's a, a one-time thing, that's one thing. But if over time, consistently, it just de-energizes, devalues me, and takes away my purpose, I'm done with it. I'm going to move on and find something else that will energize and relighten everything about my being, man. Couldn't agree more, brother. Awesome, guys. Well, we're going to call it good right there. I want to say a big thank you to Pete for coming up today. Uh, be sure and check out goodinthehead.com. The guy is all over the place, making sure that he's putting out quality content every single day. And uh, he's a very humble dude, and uh, I will just encourage you to to dive into his world. Like he can he can really connect you with some some high level concepts that can move massive parts of your life and and help you make shifts in your life, guys. So with that said, we'll call it good here, and we will see you in the next episode. Have a great one. Thank you, Jason. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.